God, we love you, and we're, again, thankful this morning for you, God. God, our prayer this morning is that, uh, that you continue to, to bless us with your presence here. God, that we would continue to feel you, that, that, as, that as I speak, God, that it wouldn't just be my words, but they would be your words, that your people would hear you today. God, we love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Actually, you know, before I, before I get going on Jonah, uh, this, is a, this is a big week. Uh, Tuesday is a big day. Uh, but I wanted to give us some, some encouragement this morning. Uh, there's a Max Licato, who's a Christian author, writer, uh, does a lot of stuff on leadership. But uh, this is, I think he has some, some poignant things to say for us. This is, this is um, a blog that he did. It's called My Prediction for November 9th. Okay? Here's what he says. We are really ready for this presidential election to be over. Can I get an amen on that? Yes. Amen. <laughs> We're ready for an end to the, to the rancor and the tackiness. Voters on both sides feel frustrated, even embarrassed by it all. There's a visceral fear and angst about the result. What if so-and-so wins? When we wake up to November 9th, post-election, when the confetti is swept away and the election is finally over, what will we see? I have a prediction. I know exactly what November 9th will bring. Another day of God's perfect sovereignty. He will still be in charge. His throne will still be occupied. He will still manage the affairs of the world. Never before has, has his providence depended on a king, president, or ruler, and it won't on November 9th, 2016. Proverbs 21 says, The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. On one occasion, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria so that he aided them in the construction of the temple. On another occasion, he stirred the heart of Cyrus to release the Jews to, to return to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar was considered to be the mightiest king of his generation, but God humbled him and put him in detention for seven years. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. Understanding God's sovereignty over the nations opens the door to peace. When we realize that God influences the hearts of all rulers, we can then choose to pray for them rather than fret about them. Rather than wring our hands, we bend our knees we select prayer over despair. Jeremiah did this. He was the prophet to Israel during one of her darkest periods of rebellion. He was called the weeping prophet because he was one. He wept at the condition. <laughs> Cut off right there. Okay. He wept at the condition and he prays this prayer. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3. Imitate Jeremiah. Lift up your eyes. Dare to believe that good things will happen. Dare to believe that God was speaking to us when he said, In everything, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28. Many years ago, I spent a week visiting the interior of Brazil with a longtime missionary pilot. He flew a circuit of remote towns in a small plane that threatened to come undone at the slightest gust of wind. Wilbur and Orville had a sturdier aircraft, he says. <laughs> I could not get comfortable. I kept thinking that the plane was going to crash in some Brazilian jungle, and I'd get gobbled up by piranhas or swallowed by an anaconda. 
I kept shifting around, looking down and gripping my seat as if that would help. Finally, the pilot had enough of my squirming. He looked at me and he shouted over the airplane noise, we won't face anything that I can't handle. You might as well trust me to fly the plane. Is God saying the same to you? If so, make this your prayer. Dear Lord, you are perfect. You cannot be better than you are. You are ever existing. You exist because you choose to exist. You are self-sustaining. No one helps you. No one gives you the strength. You are self-governing. Who can question your deeds? Who dares advise you? You have never failed. Never. You cannot fail. You are God. You will accomplish your plan. You are happy, eternally joyful, endlessly content. You are the king, supreme ruler, absolute monarch, overlord, and raja of all history. An an arch of your eyebrow and a million angels will pivot and salute. Every throne is a footstool to yours. Every crown is a paper mache to yours. No limitations, hesitations, questions, second thoughts, or backwards glances. You consult no clock. You keep no calendar. You report to no one. You are in charge, and I trust you, he says. He closes with this. Circle November 9th on your calendar. And write upon it the words, Our God rules the world. He will still be on the throne. Amen. I think that's something we need to keep in mind as we go through, as we go through this week. But we've been, uh, we've been spending the last uh, two weeks in the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah, which is commonly thought of as a, a kid's story, right? The, the Sunday school story of Jonah and... Uh, Sometimes we leave it there, though, right? We leave it in the Sunday school realm, we leave it in the little kid's story realm, and we don't really look at it in the same lens that we look through the rest of Scripture that can, that can speak to us, that can change our faith, that can, that can push us to, to pursue God even further, right? To live the life that God has for us. I think sometimes we, we forget about, we forget to look at maybe stories like Jonah and, and some, maybe some other stories in Scripture as well in that lens, right? This story is part of Scripture, and Scripture is here to shape us and to grow us in the way that God would have us to grow. So what can we learn from, from this, this story of Jonah, right? If you want to turn to Jonah, if you're, if you're there, if, you want to, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, it's on page 654. It, it's, it's a familiar story. And so here's where we've been, right? In Jonah 1, Jonah 1 is, is God calling to Jonah. Jonah, go to Nineveh and speak to them. Jonah just says, no. Not gonna happen, God. I know them. I've seen this story in before. I'm not gonna die on that hill. So I go the other way. He runs from God, right? And so we talked about, about running from God, right? That God is going to call you to do some, some uncomfortable things. And, and if you don't want to do it, there's always going to be an option in the other direction. But it's always the wrong option. And if you take it, God might send a storm to give, get your attention. That's exactly what happens with Jonah. Right, Jonah, God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. Unfortunately, he's asleep in the bottom of a boat. Right? The captain wakes him up. Pray to your God. Pray to your God so we don't die, so we don't sink. The, the sailors are, are throwing everything off the ship because they think they're, they, maybe they'll handle it if they're a lighter ship. Jonah says, I'm going to own this. This is on me. If you want to survive, you've got to throw me off the ship. So reluctantly, after trying certain things, they, they did. They threw him off. The seas calm, the storms quit, and a giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. 
And in chapter 2, last week, we, we talked about the, the prayer of Jonah, that Jonah prays as he's in this whale, uh, the fish, right? He's in the belly of this fish, and this, the, the, the prayer that he prays, God, in my deepest, darkest pain, you answered me. God, when I was, in the, when I was the farthest I could be away from you, you heard me. Right, this, is, this is what we talked about last week, that even in the midst of the, of the darkest times in our lives, even in the midst of, of, of the times where we feel farthest away from God, God is still God. He is still on the throne, right? And, and guess what? The God who is still on the throne hears us and, and speaks to us and answers us, even in, even in those times where we are far away from him. And Jonah prays, God, you heard me. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, he says. And he, and he kind of recommits his life in that point. And as he does so, the, the fish, it says, vomits him up on shore. And this is where we, this is where we start this morning as we, as we catch up. I, I want to just read through chapter 3, just, just a, a, a read through, and then we're going to, just like last week, kind of start again and, and go through it nice and slow, right? Once again with meaning, right? Uh, that's what we're going to do. <coughs> Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it, proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? I love this line. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Man, what a cool chapter. What a cool chapter. It, it starts off even, even, in, even in just verse 1 with me. How, this is one of the coolest parts of the chapter, I think. And this is, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? Came to Jonah a second time. It came to Jonah again, right? God, we have a God of second chances, is what this says to me, right? God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. If anyone deserved a second chance, I'm not sure it was Jonah, right? Jonah, who ran so far away from God that God had to, to send a storm, and he spent three days in the belly of a fish, right? This same Jonah, who, who just straight up said no to God and ran the other way out of fear for his life. This same Jonah, who spent three days in the belly of a fish, 
because he disobeyed. He gets out and he's, he's vomited up on the shore. And the next words that we hear, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God is a God of second chances. Some of you needed nothing more. Some of you can just stop listening right now. That's all you needed to hear from God today. God is a God of second chances. Like I said, there's some of you who, who don't need to hear anything else. Maybe, maybe you have, have fully made this decision to follow, but then lately you've just been kind of, kind of not doing it, right? You've been disobeying. You haven't been living the way that you should. I have good news this morning. God is a God of second chances. Maybe you've been, been hearing from God over and over in your life, but you just haven't quite made that decision. God is a God of second chances. Man, I can't even, he's a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Man, God is a God of, that, that, that is forgiving, right? He forgives us. Right, even when we can't get a hold of what he's saying to us, or even when we choose to say no to what he's saying to us, God is a God. He is an unrelenting God. Right, this, 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 this is what we talked about last week. This, this has said, right, the, 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 the relentless love of God, the pursuing love of God is always after you and it's always after me. We have a God of second chances. And I just, I, I, I know that in my life, I said no to God more than I said yes. I know that I walked away from God on more than one occasion. Maybe you're in the same boat. I know that when my, when my parents got divorced, I was torn up and wanted nothing to do with God. But God kept pursuing me. I know that when I was caught up in some of the stuff I was doing, and I turned away from God, that God was not done with me, that God knew what he had in me, that God knew that, that he had a plan for me and he gave me a second chance. I, can't, I don't even know what chance that was. That was like the 9,999th chance, right? Someday I'll hit the magic 10,000 number. God is a God of second chances. God is an, is an unrelenting God. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, would you please just hear that? It's, like, it's almost like, like God has this magic Etch-a-Sketch, right? I remember the day I had to explain what an Etch-a-Sketch was to my, kid, to my kids. I don't even remember where we were, but they saw it, and uh, they, were, they were playing with it, and they were like, Daddy, what is this? I was like, that's an Etch-a-Sketch. How do you not know what Etch-a-Sketch is, Right? And they were like trying to touch the screen and see if they could do something with it. And I said, no, there's these two knobs. You just, you just do the knobs, right? But then when you're done, what do you do? You shake it, and it all goes away. I, I feel like that's exactly what God does with us, right? He's, he's like a, he, he just shakes it. He forgives us. He shakes it. And he hands us a clean slate and says, go. That's what he did with Jonah. Jonah, I, I don't care. I don't care that you just ran from me. Jonah, I don't care. I know I just had to, I know you had to spend three days in the belly of a fish right now, but here you go. The Lord called to Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. A second time. Man. If you have your Bibles in, in, in verse two, there's this, there's this word in verse two. <clears throat> 
is what God calls him to do. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I give you. This word go here is, is uh, there's, there's something about the Hebrew language, right? It's just such a beautiful language. There's, uh, most of their words are, are more like pictures than they are just words. Right? We, don't have, we don't have the amount of words that they have. Uh, and this, this word go, the, the, the word that they use here for go, is there is just a, a connotation of urgency in this word. Right? Go now. Go immediately. Go, go right now to Nineveh. Get, like, get moving. Go to, go to Nineveh right now, Jonah. Right? Just, just go. Go now. Go urgently. Go immediately. Go immediately to Nineveh and preach to it <clears throat> the words that I have given you. Right? And, and why, is, why is this even a great city? Right? It, it talks about Nineveh being a large city. It was. It was about 120,000 people, which is big for them. Right, but this was, a, this was almost like a cultural center for people. This is the place that they would go to, to learn. This is the place that they would go to, um, to, to, go to school or to go anything like that. This, this place was, it had a, 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 it was basically a fortress, right? It had a wall around it that was over seven miles wide. Or not wide, but long. Right, this is, this is a, a fortress back then. This is, a, this is the capital city of Assyria. This is a, this is a big deal. Even, even historians say that this was... This was a this was a, a big time city back in the day. All right, go to the go to this great city of Nineveh, and in verse three we see that, that Jonah obeys. All right, Jonah obeys. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Right, Jonah obeys. <clears throat> he obeys. Now, if you go down to uh, if you go down to verse 4, there's, there's this, this phrase here, and that's another one of these language things. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. Right? Other, other translations will say, Jonah started into the city. Here you might say, Jonah started into the city. This, this whole, this, this phrase right here, right? The, the word here, I don't I want to pronounce it right. It's called <coughs> chalabau, right? And here's, here's what it means. It's to untie or to loosen, right? I love this imagery here, especially coming out of chapter 2, when, when just seemingly out of nowhere in Jonah's prayer, right? In Jonah chapter th- 2, right? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's pursuing love for them. I added the pursuing in there because of the language, right? They forfeit God. Those who cling to worthless idols, they forfeit God's love to them. And so in Jonah chapter 3, we see Jonah has to spend a day starting into the city. It's, it's, he's literally loosening. He's, he's untying things as he's going into the city, right? This imagery is, is clear in, this, in the passage in the original language here, right? Jonah has, has clung to things, and as he goes into the city, he's, he's letting go of the things that he was clinging to. Man, think about that. That for Jonah to go in and to do the things that he was doing, he had to let go of some things that he was clinging on to. And I, I think that imagery just sits right with us even today. I asked you last week, what are the things that you are clinging to? Right? What are the things that, that you cling to that, that keep you from, from seeing and keep you from experiencing this, this pursuing love of God? And here's what I want to say today. I think for God to use you the way he wants to use you, you got to let go. 
I think for Jonah to have a successful trip into Nineveh, he had to spend this day starting into the city, beginning to go into the city where he was, he was loosening and he was letting go of some things. All right, what do you think? Jonah, he was probably letting go of maybe a lot of fear. Right, a fear for his own safety, a fear for his life as he goes into Nineveh. All right, he's, he's preaching a message that, that is offensive. Right? He's going into Jonah and he's calling them out of a, a lifestyle that they've been living. Right? This, is, this is what he's doing. He's a prophet. This is kind of his job. But this is what he's doing. He has to let go of some things. I think, I think for me, in order to, for, to let God continue to, to expand and grow within me, I need to let go of some control in my life. Maybe you're like me. I love to have control over my life. I like to be able to say what goes on and and when it goes on and where it goes on and what we're going to be doing as it's going on. I I like to have this control. Ask my wife how good I am at delegating. She might laugh at you if you ask that question. I I am not good at that. That's one of my, 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 the weakest parts about me is I like to do it myself. Right? This, is, this is, I think, one of these things that I need to let go of. Maybe there's something that you need to let go of. Right? But God, I think, is telling you, let, just let go. There's an urgency here, even in this, even in this passage. Right? The urgency from God is, is he's saying, go now. And Jonah obeys. He's going right now. Right? And it takes him a day to get to the city, it says. And as he's doing it, he's loosening things. He's, he's untying things. He's loosening his grip on things. And, and this is just what Jonah, Jonah is doing. So, so Jonah is letting go, but, but Jonah has to preach. I've, I, just as a, as a pastor, I, I think about this often, right? What is Jonah thinking about preaching on as he's walking into this city? Right? Maybe is he, is he going for like the, what can I preach on? And call them out, but still keep them happy. Right? Is this what he's, maybe I should do the like the the you know the old three points on if your life is empty, then God can fill it kind of thing. Right? Maybe I can just do that, or maybe I can just do like three points to a happy life or something like that, and end with a poem and leave, and everybody will be all right. Right? I, I want you to to notice the the prayer that Jonah prays here. Man, this is a short, offensive prayer. Here's what he says, Jonah chapter 3, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is the sermon. He's walking through the city going, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In my mind, this is kind of like, I see this. I know I have a weird imagination. You guys probably know this about me right now before. I kind of see this as like in like a Western movie, right? Like Jonah's like walking into the city, you can hear his spurs like, you know, and he's walking in, the dust is kind of going and, you know, you can just see people and they're, they're kind of along the sides of the road and as he's coming in, they kind of stop their conversation, they're just looking at him, right? You can see this in kind of a Western movie, right? And Jonah just goes, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Keeps walking. 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. This is unbelievable. The boldness that Jonah has in this moment to be able to say that in a city where people are known to be violent, known to just kill people who are like Jonah. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. 
I can imagine his, his first time uttering those words. He's walking into the city, spurs clinging. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Oh, nothing happened. All right, the boldness keeps getting bigger and bigger. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Even just this, so again, the language thing. Forgive me for using so much... (laughs) Forgive me for the language that I'm using today. Right? No, uh, but in this Hebrew language, it's not an eight-word prayer. It's a five-word prayer. Right? And this, this overthrown word, again, like I said, a Hebrew language, it's a lot of pictures. Right? This overthrown word has really two connotations. It's either this. It's you will be overthrown and destroyed or overthrown and changed. This is what Jonah is saying to them. In 40 days, you will either be destroyed or you will be comple- completely different. Wow. Wow. In 40 days, you will either be completely destroyed or completely different. And the people hear him. And this, this, next, this next phrase is, the Ninevites believed God. I love that they didn't believe Jonah. I love that it doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. I mean, this is literally my prayer every week, right? That you don't hear me talk to you. That you hear God talk to you. And so this next, this next phrase, the, the, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is really interesting as well. Sackcloth is made out of goat hair. Right, you put on sackcloth and it's just immediately itchy and kind of painful and annoying to wear. Right, they put on the sackcloth and, and they, they're, they're fasting, right? It says, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let any people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. God may yet give us a second chance. God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. I think some of us need to learn a little something from the king and the Ninevites. Because here's what happens. They hear the word of the Lord. They hear God. Forty more days and Nineveh will perish. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. They hear this. And what do they do? Man, they respond. And it is not just like a, like a half-hearted response here. This isn't just like, a, yeah, I get that. Uh, 
Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. No, this is a, yeah, I, I believe God, and because I believe God, I am repenting. I am fasting. I, I love the king's decree. He's not even letting animals or people drink water, right? There's a, there's a um, I, I read this week as I was looking, as I was getting ready for this, that uh, in one of the commentaries, someone said, if you, don't feed, if you don't feed a herd of 20 cows for one day, you can hear their mooing for forever, right? You can hear their mooing so far away, right? If, this, is, this is, I think, what you're hearing, right? They are, they are crying out to God, saying, God, we repent. We are sorry. God, we're not going to live like this anymore. We want to live for you now, right? They're, they're starving themselves. They're, they're making themselves go through like these itches and pains and just annoyance as they cry out to God and say, we're yours now. We're yours now. And it says that God relents. God shows compassion on them, gives them a second chance. I think some of us have, we feel the, we feel the, the effect of our sin on us. But we haven't gone through the, the process of maybe mourning and calling out to God, saying, God, I'm, I'm yours. We take it for granted sometimes. We can just pray a, a five-second prayer and ask for forgiveness and just call it done. But their lives had to change. If you read this, Nineveh, there is no way that the people in Nineveh could go on living the way that they were living because they had repented and they had changed. Right? Jonah's, Jonah's sermon to them ended up being prophetic in itself. Right? Forty more days and Nineveh will be changed forever. Now if you read the history books, you know that it didn't last very long. But I think in the story, what we see is that, that the Ninevites responded. They were called out of their sin, and they responded, and they dove in. And God gave them a second chance. I think the same could be said for even the church as a whole, big C church. I think we need to, to loosen up a little bit. Quit holding on to certain things and holding on to stuff and thinking that <clears throat> I think for God to be able to use us to our full potential, we might need to spend a day just trying to let go and let God. And that's a bumper sticker, right? Let go and let God. But here's what it is. It's about repentance. It's about calling out to God, saying, God, we repent. God, we are yours. God, it's not about us. God, it's about you. And I love this. I love the last phrase. When God saw what they did and saw that they had turned from their evil ways, he relented 
and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. We have a God of second chances. Even a city as violent and as, as corrupt as Nineveh, God gave a second chance. Even me. Paul says what? Chief of sinners, right? Even me. Even with a life that I lived, even, in, even though I walked away from God, God gave me a second chance. Even you. God gave you a second chance. I have two thoughts this morning. First of all, where's your Nineveh? Where's your Nineveh? Where is God calling you to that you're saying no? But God has a purpose for you in that place. Because this second chance that we're talking about for me and for you, for the city of Nineveh, is for everybody that lives in that neighborhood across the street. It's for everybody that lives in, in Fresno and, and Clovis and, and California and in the United States and in the world. It's for everybody. Where's your Nineveh? And here's my second thought. There's something you need to repent of. Is there a need for repentance in your life? And I'm not just talking about a, I'm sorry God, repentance. We've all done that before. God, I'm sorry I did that again. Two days later, oh man, I'm sorry I did that again. Like the next hour, God, I'm sorry I did that again. I'm talking about a true repentance where we are crying out to God, saying, God, I am yours. Do with me what you want me to do. Do, tell me where you want me to go, I'll go. What do you want me to say, I'll say it. That kind of just total dependence on God. But if you leave this morning and hear nothing else from me, I want you to hear this and I want you to think about this. We have a God of second chances. And for the entire Christian history since the church began, way back in Acts, There's been a way that, that the church has, has remembered that we have a God of second chances. And it's when we come to this table and we take part in communion and we hold the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ broken for you and broken for me and we hold the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and shed for me on the cross we remember, God, you, you sent your son to die for me so that I could have a second chance. But it would be foolish of us to take the bread and to take the cup, knowing that we have a second chance, and go out continuing to live the same way that we lived before. In a second, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and as we as we pass out these these elements, I want you know you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a member here to take communion. 
All we ask is that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But as you sit with the cup and sit with the bread, would you just reflect on the second chance that you have been given and reflect on, on, on where God is calling you to be. And as you take the cup and you take the bread, would you be doing so out of a commitment to go? Ushers, would you come forward as we pass out the elements?
Scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we're thankful for you. God, we thank you for the for the second chance and the third and the fourth and the 1,000. God, you're relentless with your love towards us. God, as we go out this morning, will we be, we'll be filled with your presence, filled with your joy, filled with your grace as we go out that the people that we touch and the people that we see and the people that we talk to would not see us, but they would see you when they look at us. God, we want to make a difference for you. God, may someone come to Christ this week through someone in our church. God, we love you and we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And before I give you a blessing, uh, we're afterwards we're going to um, meet down at the altar. We're going to be to do some anointing with Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy got some news this week that her cancer had come back. Uh, and so we're going to pray for her and anoint her up here at the altar. Uh, but as if, let, me, let me pray this blessing over you as we go. Just reach, receive this. May the God of all glory and the God of all grace go with you and go ahead of you as you go this week. May you receive peace that passes understanding and joy that only comes from him. And may you speak boldly into whatever situation you may find yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in peace this morning. Amen.